0: I invite you to turn with me this morning in your Bible to Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18 as we're going through this wonderful gospel, and we'll be looking at verses 35 through 43. I'm going to begin reading actually verse 31, but we'll be focusing on 35 through uh, the end of the chapter. This is a, not just a Bible story, uh, just remember this is a, a real uh, circumstance, this is an, a real man with a real need, and he met a real Savior and experienced wonderful uh, deliverance. Let's begin reading, reading at verse 31. And taking the twelve, the disciples, he, that is Jesus, said to them, So here you have an example in, uh, in the disciples. Jesus said something about himself, something critical, and uh, they didn't see it. It was hidden from them. Uh, they couldn't grasp what he, what he said. And, and now we're going to find a man who, who did see, though he was physically blind, had wonderful spiritual wisdom and eyesight. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, a Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Let's ask the Lord to bless us. God, in heaven, left to ourself, we will be as blind as as Bartimaeus was blinded physically. We'll have that same spiritual blindness this morning, and so we ask, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our heart to see the glory of Jesus, the reality of our need, the wonder of the gospel. I pray, Lord God, that today you would open blind eyes and do the miracle of salvation in our midst. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we come to another uh, healing miracle of Jesus. Um, you might have been tempted this morning as we read this story to think, eh, I've heard this story before, and uh, I, I, um, really nothing new here for me. And I just want to encourage you this morning that uh, the healing stories of Jesus uh, are some of the, the most uh, poignant Pictures of gospel reality in in all the, the gospels. Uh, they're they're not here by accident. They're not here um, just to sort of impress us that Jesus could do uh, impressive things. Uh, they're here to to help us see things. They're here to help us uh, realize the true nature of man's need and to realize the wonder, the glory of Christ delivering power. Uh, the uh, Richard Phillips, in his book Mighty to Save, uh, Discovering God's Grace and the Miracles of Jesus, he points out that the, the various healing miracles uh, in the Gospel of Luke here show the various devastating effects of sin. That sin does things to us spiritually, and so Phillips points out that leprosy is a, is a word picture or a a picture in physical form of the corrupting, decaying, deadening presence of sin. Uh, The lame reveal sin's paralyzing, crippling power. The demon-possessed show the destructive domination that is always the result of our bondage by nature to sin and to Satan. The dead reveal the wages of sin, and all of these physical ailments then are portrayals of man's universal, devastating, spiritual disease, that we, by virtue of being fallen uh, by children of, of Adam and Eve in their sin, were descendants from them. Mankind is in the devastating grip of sin and death. You know that. But, but what is most startling, you see, is that oftentimes we utterly forget it. We think it a small thing that, that left to ourselves, uh, the fact that we are descended from Adam and Eve will just be an interesting biological, possibly historical fact. But there won't be any sense of need attached to it. No, there will be no sense of desperation attached to it. Because you see, by nature, sin has blinded us. And so people live their lives, even driving past cemeteries every single day, maybe walking through them because they enjoyed the peace and the quiet, and never sensing the truth that that cemetery is talking about. So we're blind. And yet, in these stories, we find God at work to wake people up, to open eyes, to to rescue Every one of these stories is a story about a real person with a desperate need and utter inability to save themselves, and yet Jesus does what no one can do. And, and when they meet Jesus, when they meet this, this one individual, God made man, the kingdom of God in flesh, when they meet this Jesus in faith, their need, no matter how desperate, even if it is death itself, is miraculously met. And what sin has ruined, Jesus restores and redeems and makes new. He makes the lame to walk. He makes the blind to see. The demon-possessed are set free. The dead are raised to life. And that's how we can know the kingdom of God is really among us. Through the works and the words of Jesus, the redemptive power of God for fallen humanity is made visible, and things are becoming new. It's not just a Bible story. It is the reality of the power of God let loose in this world. And the wonder of this, you see, is that the same Jesus who entered into Jericho in the story here, Luke chapter 18, is the same Jesus who is at work in our world today. He is reigning at the right hand of God the Father, with all power and authority having been given to him, and His spirit is at work, let loose, right in this broken world, in the reality of our. Lostness, our neediness. And this Jesus, by his word and by his spirit, is doing exactly what we see in Luke 18: making the blind to see, healing the brokenness, forgiving horrendous sins, destroying the works of the devil today. It's not just an idea, it's not a, a myth, it's not an allegory, it's real. And that's that's wonderful news because I don't know about you, but I need that Jesus. I need that Jesus desperately. And so do you. So the glory of this text is that we see uh, uh, Jesus at work, and that Jesus who is at work there is at work today. In fact, we believe that as as, uh, the Word of God is, is proclaimed and preached and the Spirit is present, that Jesus himself is here to meet your needs. And as you look to him in faith, you can be assured that your deepest needs can be resolved by his redemptive power. That's what we're about this morning. Jesus, as we read, is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem to die. Uh, Matthew and Mark both tell us that he is being followed by massive crowds. People are are starting to get excited about Jesus. To the disciples, this certainly would seem like Jesus is finally getting the recognition that he deserves. The people are finally starting to wake up. They're getting it. That Jesus is the Messiah. He's he's going to Jerusalem, and and the disciples' minds, he's going there to, to take a throne, He's going there to, to restore Israel to its, uh, from its fallen, desperate condition. He's going to get rid of the Romans, and Israel is going to be great again, as it was in the days of David. And on the way, he comes uh, to Jericho. That would be common, as uh, Israelites usually would make their way south. They would cross the Jordan, and, rather than go through Samaria, but they would, and then they would come up to Jerusalem, exactly the way Joshua came up to Jerusalem. When Joshua entered into the promised land, the land of Canaan, he comes through Jericho, crosses the river Jordan, and there's Jericho. Of course, contrary to the popular song, Joshua did not fit the battle of Jericho. Uh, the whole point of the story is God fit the battle of Jericho and the walls came a-tumbling down, but Joshua just did what the Lord had called him to do, uh, proclaim, right, trumpet the glory of God, and God did the work. But this is the same road as as Joshua was leading Israel into the promised land. Now this new Joshua, the true Joshua, Jesus Christ himself, on the very same road, going through the same city, and with the same purpose, except now it's fulfilled. Jesus is there to bring his people and all of creation into a new reality. And so Jesus is on his way. Pursuing a redeemed creation, a world where everything's made new and and on the way he meets a blind man. We know from Mark's account the blind man had a name. He was Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. Uh, He's a beggar. Sitting along the side of the street would be a very common sight in those days. A, a, a man there who is a disability of some sort. Bartimaeus would take his place with the other disabled people maybe and, or find a place to himself. He's blind. He can't work. Uh, there's no government assistance. Um, apparently he doesn't have family that, that can take care of him. And so he is left to beg day after day with his little clay jar most likely. Relying upon whatever pity he might receive... From those who are walking by. He's blind. Cannot see. No light penetrates. But his spiritual sight works extremely well. In fact, Bartimaeus' spiritual eyesight reveals the incredible blindness of everyone else standing around. It's a story with great irony. So I'd like to begin by looking at what Bartimaeus saw. What Bartimaeus saw? Bartimaeus saw with perfect vision the reality of his condition and the truth about his need you can you can imagine the scene jesus is is on his way and and uh, Bartimaeus is is sitting there and there's a buzz in the air people are wondering what well, who exactly is this Jesus? Some are saying John the Baptist. Others say he's Elijah returned from the dead. Um, some are saying that he's, he's going to go and, and, and go to Jerusalem to take over things there and, and make things right. They hear stories about the amazing things that he's done. There's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of buzz, a lot of curiosity and conjecture. But it's, it's, it's interesting to see that Bartimaeus really isn't concerned about any of that chatter. So when he hears the crowd buzzing, Bartimaeus says, what, what's going on? And someone said, well, Jesus of uh, Nazareth is passing by. And uh, we know Bartimaeus is in the back a little bit because the people who rebuke him, were said they, they, those in front, turn around. Um, so he's in the back. He's blind. He can't see anyhow. And so when he hears, when someone says, uh, well, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, uh, to the shock and dismay of uh, everyone nearby him, Bartimaeus starts bellowing, Jesus, son of David, he's screaming, have mercy on me, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the people turn around and say, Bartimaeus, will you shut up? Stop yelling. They rebuke him. And what did Bartimaeus do? Well, the text says uh, when they rebuked him, he cried out all the, more, all the more. He just ramped it up Son of David! Son of David! He's screaming. He's just roaring with frantic desperation. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Well, why is he yelling? That's what the people around him are asking. Why is Bartimaeus yelling? Well, you can find three reasons I think he's yelling. If you put yourself in his shoes, you know for, for one, he knows that he's a man in need, so he's He's a man who um, is, is down in the pit of the well, and, and he's yelling because he, he needs something. He needs deliverance. Bartimaeus knows that he's not, he's not well. He's broken. He's a beggar. This is, this is not the life his parents had dreamed for him. This is not the life he had hoped for. And not only is he a beggar, but, but to be a, a blind man would be uh, in the eyes of the, of the crowd, of your friends. It would be a sign that something had gone wrong morally. Remember when the, the disciples meet a, a blind man comes to Jesus and, and they ask Jesus, the disciples ask him, the, the question that everybody would have asked, Lord, who sinned? Was it this man or was it his, his parents? Somebody did something wrong for Bartimaeus to be, to, be, to be blind. And so, because you see, he's living under judgment. He's living under condemnation. God is not happy with Bartimaeus. That's the conclusion everybody draws. That's what he lives under. He's the blind man because he's the immoral man. In some sense, immorality and, and uh, wickedness, evil, unrighteousness has attached to him. He's under the condemnation of God. That's what Bartimaeus knows. That's what he sees. And and you see, this is precisely what people, spiritually speaking, are utterly blinded to by nature. Sin blinds us to the reality of the glory of God. And so not seeing the reality of the glory of God, we don't understand the sinfulness of sin. It's like if you uh, were... In a, in a at someone's house, and um, you just started goofing off. Maybe boys and girls, this would work maybe better for you. But you know, you're in someone's house you haven't been to before, and there's some nice pillows that look just really ideal for throwing around. And so you and your friend are just you're just having fun and throwing pillows at each other. And your your mother comes rushing into the room and in a panic, stop, stop, stop! This isn't just a this isn't just a room kit. This is a museum. Everything here is worth thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Oh, didn't know that. That's how people live in the world, you see. We just trash things because we don't understand what we're doing. We don't understand what we're in the presence of. Our activity doesn't seem that bad when it's awful, when it actually deserves immediate condemnation. So, so not seeing the glory of God, we don't see the sinfulness of sin. We just think, well, it's just what people do. It's what people are like. And, and I'm not doing any worse than anyone else. And, and if I need, then, then I'll just change myself. I'll, 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 I'll get better. Sin isn't really that difficult. I mean, you've got to work at it a little bit. You might need a program. You might need some accountability. You might need some more self-will. But, but if I need to change, I can change. Well, see, Bartimaeus doesn't suffer from any of that. He knows he can't fix himself. His blindness has defined him and despoiled him in awful ways, and so he's a desperate man. And that's why, that's why you see he's asking for mercy. He's not asking for help. He's been asking for help his entire life. Everybody that walks by, right? Alms, alms. He's been asking for help his whole life, and he's tired of asking for help. That's not what he wants from Jesus. What he wants is mercy. What he wants is what only God truly can give, the the kindness and compassion of God for unworthy, undeserving people. Mercy, you see, is a rich Old Testament term. It's speaking of the compassion of God for sinners in their great need. So mercy is, is what you need when you're drowning in your sin, when you're dying in your despair, and you desperately need miraculous divine intervention and deliverance. That's what he needs. Mercy is what David asks for in Psalm 51 when he's done these awful things of taking another man's wife and having that man put to death. And when he finally wakes up and sees the, the, the horror of his sin, he doesn't say, help me, God, I, I blew it again, and I need to do better. So could you help me do better? That's not what he says. It's have mercy. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgression and forgive me of all my sin. Mercy is what the tax collector asks. Remember the story Jesus tells of the Pharisee and the tax collector? The Pharisee, thank God I'm not like other men, particularly this guy over here. And the tax collector cannot even lift his eyes to heaven, but is beating his breast. He sees the awfulness of his sin and he doesn't pray for help. He prays for mercy. Have mercy on me, O God, the sinner. I just want to encourage you to to consider in your battle with sin, are you asking for help or are you asking for mercy? Help suggests that I can go this far, I can do this much, but but Lord, I I just need some help to get the rest of the way. Mercy says, Lord, I I cannot help myself. So I've got nothing to bring here except my need. And I'm casting myself, then you see, on your kindness. I'm casting myself on your loving character. God, be merciful to me. I I just testify that that I I just found in my own life that when I started asking for mercy, just mercy, there's a humility that goes with that. That I think is honoring to the Lord, and I think God responds to prayers for mercy much more than He responds to prayers for help, particularly if you're particularly if you're wrestling with sin. God is a helper. But what we need as sinners is mercy. We need mercy. And that's what, that's what Zac, that Bartimaeus is pleading for. You, you ask for mercy when you're way past asking for what people can do, when you recognize that, that there's nothing anyone can do that to, to actually deliver you. God alone can. And so your only hope, the only chance you possibly have is if the living God actually intervenes in your life and rescues you with undeserved, unwarranted, unmerited kindness and compassion. That's what you need. And that's what he asked for. So he's bellowing because he's a desperate man. He's bellowing because he is a hungry man. There is a desire And it's a desire Bartimaeus knows people will not be able to answer. He wants the impossible. That's what he wants. He's not willing to live in his blindness. He's not willing to live under the condemnation of God. He wants what only God can accomplish. He wants the blindness driven away. He wants the light of God's sunshine to flood his vision and all the colors and shapes of God's created world to fill his view. He wants to be done with begging. He wants to be done with groping around in the dark. He wants to be done with living under the shadow of judgment. He wants to see, and he doesn't care what people think. You can rebuke him all day long. It does not matter. His hunger, his desire is so powerful. He's not going to stop yelling until he gets what he is looking for. And you see, the third reason he's yelling is because he has hope. He has hope. He's he's bellowing, you see, because, because he thinks that the impossible is possible now that Jesus is on his street. He wouldn't be screaming at the top of his lungs if if someone said, well, you know, Prince so-and-so has come to town. He'd think, well, maybe we can pick up a little extra today. But he's bellowing because there's not just Prince so-and-so coming to town. Jesus is in town. And Jesus is on... This street, his very street, the street where he had spent his life begging. And when Jesus came down that street, suddenly there's something brand new on the horizon, something that had never been there before. There's hope. Hope for the impossible. There's a cure for an incurable disease. There's a, there's a chance that light can break into his dark his dark world, and, and that's why he's bellowing. Don't you think we could use a little more bellowing in the church? Don't you think that might be appropriate? More prayers for mercy, more people who are so desperate for the impossible, so eager and hungry for God and and what only God can do that they don't mind what people think, even their church friends. They don't mind what others say. They just want God. They're craving for mercy, and they won't stop bellowing until they receive it. Why don't we have more bellowing, more desperation? Well, maybe it's because we don't really think we're that needy. Our life seems to be going fairly well. We seem to have things in order. Or maybe it's because we don't really understand who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do and what we could have in him and the fact that he's right here talked to someone just recently who was desperate to be rid of his, his desire for pornography. Praise God. But let me ask you, are you desperate to be done with your disease? Are you desperate to be done with your gossip, your anger, your lust, your pride, your spiritual apathy? Is there, is there any... Any sense within you that, that these things can kill you? And, you? and do you understand that no person can help you? No, a church can't help you. A preacher can't help you. A new practice or program can't help you. Do you, do you understand what Bartimaeus clearly understands? That, that you must have God. You must find mercy or you will not live. You will not live without God and without his mercy. See, if, if those things are settling in your mind, then the Spirit, if he's there, is gonna create just this hunger, this, this eagerness, this desire. And, and you're gonna start bellowing in your prayers God be merciful to me. God be merciful to me. And, and the, the wonder of this story is that great things happen to those who bellow. So, verse 40. Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. Notice it is not the polite people, the nice, religious, well-ordered people standing on the side of the road. They do not catch Jesus' attention. Bartimaeus is surrounded by these people, nice people, able people, religious people, and, and all they really want in the moment is peace and quiet. They see Jesus passing by, and they're willing to let him pass by. No bellowing, no crying out from them. Why not? Because they don't think they have any needs, and they don't understand who's, who's in front of them. They don't have anything desperately wrong with them that would, that would make them willing to actually publicly embarrass themselves, like Bartimaeus here. here. I mean, they can maybe understand why he's screaming but they're not him. And so they stand there rebuking the one man who actually understands what's going on and they then never actually do meet Jesus and they die in their sin. You see how devastating it is just to stand politely by when salvation is in front of you? So Bartimaeus, you see, sees The truth about Jesus. He sees a different Jesus than everyone else around him, partly because of his need. But, But also, Bartimaeus has spiritual insight and understanding. So when he asks what's going on, the people say, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. The man from Galilee. You know, you've heard of him, maybe the teacher. He does some amazing things, and people marvel at his teaching. Very curious man. We're not quite sure where he's from or what, he, what, what, what exactly he's about, but we're very, very interested. In, it, it, some, some are saying that, that he could just feed everybody. So, so Jesus was an object of conjecture and curiosity, someone that, that maybe they're willing to align up with if it serves their political aspirations or their personal ambitions. There are many people who see that Jesus when they, when they read their Bible. They're looking for the the man who um, has these moral principles, a a, a man who can inspire them to help them achieve their dreams, sort of a a life coach who helps them attain their life goals as as he reminds them of how loved they are. And so they admire him, They, they might even call themselves followers of him, but they don't see him. They're not looking for the right Jesus. So Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And so you see, when people see Jesus but don't see the gospel, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, uh, they don't see Jesus. But that's what Bartimaeus saw. He saw saw good news. Everybody around him is, is seeing a man from up in Galilee Bartimaeus saw glory, glory. He doesn't cry out, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. And everybody around him would know what he's saying, that this is a messianic title. This is the promised Messiah of God, Bartimaeus is talking about. The son God promised to David, who would be a a king to reign on David's throne, a greater king and a greater throne over a greater kingdom, And that this would be the day of God's favor when the Messiah came. And he would inaugurate a new world order, the kingdom of God. This is the one the prophets talked about. This is the one the godly old men and women prayed for. And so when they say uh, Jesus of Nazareth is walking by, right? Bartimaeus with his spiritual insight connects the dots and he leaps. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Because, you see, if, if that's Jesus, the son of David, then God has drawn nigh. This is the year of the Lord's favor. And God's Messiah is walking down his street. God is let loose among men, and all things are possible. And so he's screaming. Do you realize that your salvation depends on what you see when you look at Jesus? Jesus. If you only see a Bible story figure or a teacher of morality, someone maybe who has come to help you fix things up, help you to achieve the life that you want, if, if, if you just see um, a historical figure, you see, then you don't, you don't see Jesus. You're just seeing the man from Nazareth. But if you see the kindness and the favor of God, if you see the promises of God in, the, in, the, in Scripture fulfilled in this man, where, where God promises to make all things new and, and, and to draw near and to rescue sinners, if you see in Jesus compassion and mercy and grace and love for sinners coming down your street, coming for you, then you see the real Jesus. Jesus. And it's time to bellow. It's time to cry out. Now, how does Bartimaeus know all this? How does he know who Jesus is? Well, uh, we know from the Bible that he knows this because it's been revealed to him. Remember when Peter, when Jesus uh, asked the disciples, who do, you, who do men say that I am? And, and uh, they're offering ideas. And, and he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah, the anointed one. You're the the son of the living God. And Jesus rejoices and says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for this was not revealed to you by men, but revealed to you by my Father who is in heaven. In another place, Jesus rejoices that that God in heaven, the Father, does reveal these things, and he reveals these things to the needy, to the poor, to the little children. He hides them from the, the, the wise, the religiously able people. But to those who are needy, which is why you see the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the children flock to him, God reveals the truth. Has he revealed it to you? What Jesus do you see when you think of Jesus? Interesting man, religious leader, a helper? Or do you see the mercy and the grace and the kindness of God and all the power of God coming down your street for you, the needy sinner? Your eternity depends on him. Well, we'll wrap up what Bartimaeus received. He received first a meeting with Jesus. Jesus com- stopped, commanded him to be brought to him. And so Bartimaeus leaps to his feet and he, and he comes to Jesus. Bartimaeus receives a question, what do you want me to do for you? It's a fascinating question since Jesus knew exactly what Bartimaeus wanted him to do for him. So why does he, why does he ask? Is it sort of playing with Bartimaeus a bit? I don't think it's that at all. I think Jesus, you see, is seeking to let it be known to expose the marvelous faith of this blind beggar. Uh, Mark tells us that when Bartimaeus jumped up, he threw off his cloak and he, he sprang up, throws away his, his cloak and runs to Jesus. Uh, back in November, Dr. Godfrey was here and preached on, on that text and, and just talked about how it, a cloak would be maybe the most valuable item that a beggar would own. It's what kept him warm at night. It's what protected him from the weather. And so to throw away that cloak is to throw away his security, to throw away right, his, his comfort. Why does he throw it away? Because as he's on his way to Jesus, he has absolute confidence. He's not going to need a cloak. He's gonna, this meeting with Jesus is going to change his life. That's the confidence that he has. His days in the dark are ended. Jesus can bring him into the light. This is a wonderful picture of, of what faith is. Hebrews 11.6 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not yet seen that's Bartimaeus. Conviction of things not yet seen. And so when Jesus says, what do you want me to do? Bartimaeus says, Lord, let me recover my sight. He stands right there in front of this religiously able crowd, and he asks for the impossible. Lord, I want to see It's a bold, beautiful prayer. It's a confession of his need and his absolute confidence that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is able to to meet that need. Lord, I I want you to sovereignly rule over the laws of nature. I want you to command the molecules of my body to obey your gracious will. I want you to undo the devastation in my life caused by Adam's sin. I want you to roll back the dark night and let me see the light. And Jesus, I know you can. What joy it must have given Jesus to see the faith that God has given this blind man and then to respond to that faith, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight. As Jesus spoke the word, the blindness was dispelled. The sight was restored. And what's the first thing Bartimaeus saw? The face of Jesus. Right, the face of Jesus. Faith gave way to sight. The blindness is gone. And this beggar, an object of pity and ridicule and scorn, becomes Bartimaeus, a rejoicing son of God. And the people see it. Bartimaeus has a new life. He recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. This, this, this pitiful man has become a son. This needy blind man now becomes a testimony displaying the power and the grace of God. And that's exactly, you see, what happens when you come to Christ. The the church, Peter writes in 1 Peter 2, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's our new life. So friends, let's, let's apply it. What does this story tell us? This story tells us that Jesus is is way more than maybe we had imagined. That in Jesus we have the the, the redeeming power and compassion of the living God. And and this miracle is just one more reminder of what Jesus came to do. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to rescue sinners from all the bondage of darkness and death under the curse of sin. He came to set people free to know God, to be in relationship with God, to love God, to follow God. Free to become heirs of everlasting life as Jesus makes everything new. But he did it at a cost. Why is he in Jericho? He's in Jericho because he's on his way to Jerusalem. And why is he going to Jerusalem? That's the question people are asking. And what no one could possibly imagine is that he's going there to die. He's going there bearing Bartimaeus's sin and bearing your sin and my sin. You see, Bartimaeus' miracle didn't cost him a dime. It cost Jesus his life. It was sight purchased by the blood of the innocent Lamb of God. And so that's why we as Christians are are called to sing and, and rejoice because, you see, that's, that's, that's our story now. Our salvation didn't cost us a thing. You can't, you can't come and buy the grace of God. Come without money, without cost. But you can come and you can have the free gift of God purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. You can have the light of the gospel, the glory of God shine in your heart. And we can live then as people who follow Jesus, glorifying God, and when other people see it, they give praise to God. Friend, I don't know your heart this morning, but I just want all of us to realize that Jesus Christ is at work and present today. In his word, he's walking down whatever street you live on, He's walking right by the very place where you maybe are wasting your life seeking to do what you can do or what other people can maybe help you do. And how are we going to respond? Where would you have been in that crowd? Would you have been on the roadside with other polite, able people telling, hollering Bartimaeus to be quiet? Or would you be the bellowing blind man? The desperately needy sinner who is not afraid to bellow for mercy and and dares to believe that God in Jesus Christ is willing to do for us the impossible. He is willing to make us completely new. And that doesn't mean we get immediately fixed. Wouldn't it be nice if if Jesus just said, sin be gone? But he doesn't. Because Jesus wants in your life something more than just sin to be gone. That's going to happen. He promises it's going to happen. But right now, God is maybe using that struggle, that that, sh- that shame and that guilt to help you see Jesus, to help you see what grace really means, what love, the love of God is really about. And as you grow in your understanding of the grace of God in Jesus Christ for you, the sinner, as you receive the mercy that gives you eyes to see the truth about you and the, the glorious truth about God, then the sin. The sin God can mercifully begin to remove, and one day will be completely removed. And when you open your eyes in that new heaven and in that new earth, the first face you will see will be Jesus. I pray that's true for you. If you don't know it's true for you, today I would just urge you to get on your knees and and talk to this Jesus. He's passing by. Let's pray. God in heaven, I thank you for this this beautiful, beautiful story of a wonderful Savior for needy sinners. Lord, forgive us for our apathy. Forgive us for not seeing Jesus as as he passes by. Forgive us for not crying out for mercy when you are a God who is rich in mercy, a God who delights to show mercy. but we've been too proud or too able or too spiritually apathetic to cry out for it. Lord, I just pray that you would take this beautiful text and this beautiful truth today and change our life by it. That we are increasingly willing to say we're the blind, the blind people by nature and the crippled and the lame people. We're the deaf people. By by nature, we are the dead people. But one day Jesus came down our street and God gave us the faith to see who he was and what he could do. And he's done the impossible in our life and is going to continue to do the humanly impossible until we stand in his presence. Oh God in heaven, we are in the presence of the glory of Jesus. I pray that we do not miss it but that you would develop a deep urgency in our life. Maybe we've been Christians all of our life, but we haven't really been awake. So Lord, please, don't leave us standing politely on the sidelines, but give us the grace to cry out, to bellow, to want Jesus more than we want anything, and then glorify your name in saving us to the uttermost. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.